Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we're going to continue our series on what we believe. Now, this is something that you can go from place to place and hear what other people believe or maybe read their doctrinal statements or you ask somebody that you work next to and just say, hey, man, what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? I'm just going to tell you, we're going through this series of what we believe. Now, as we stated at the very beginning, we are not a creedal type of people, meaning we don't have a creed written. And to join the church, you must believe the creed. We are a uh, people of the book. And so we just go to the Bible and we say, this is what we believe. It's not a creed that man wrote. We say the word of God. And so therefore we have what's called a confession. So we're confessional and we're not creedal. It's a big difference, actually. It may sound small, but it's actually a pretty big deal. So therefore, we believe that because Jesus Christ lives inside of believers and the Holy Spirit comes upon you at the point of salvation when you turn to Christ, that the Spirit of God leads you into truth. Now, He does this a couple ways. He does this as you read the Bible, as you are a seeker of truth. He does this through teachers and through Bible studies, but the Lord desires you and me to know truth, but that is your decision and your responsibility. I can't learn it for you. I can't answer the questions for you. I can't. This is the priesthood of the believers. No man stands between you and God. There's only one mediator between you and the Father, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, right? He's the mediator, so you go straight to the Lord, no one else. So as we study this, I want to bring up some opinions and some views and some clear facts that the Scripture teaches that we all, as Glen Meadows, agree upon. And so today we're talking about who is Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? Now, first out of the, what I want to convey is that there's many opinions about Jesus, there's some people who even use the name Jesus, but they're actually talking about something else. Having the same vocabulary doesn't always mean you have the same glossary. Let me give you an example. In other words, the, the, the Islam. Islam states, says they believe in Isa, Jesus, but they don't claim him to be divine or the Savior. They just believe he's just a prophet like Noah or Abraham, etc. Buddha or Buddhism. Buddhism, they, when they define Jesus, they just say he is an enlightened one, but not higher than the Buddha. In Hinduism, they would say he is a light, but he's not the light. In Mormonism, they would not say he's God. They would say he is a God, and he's actually your brother along with Lucifer. Jehovah Witnesses would say that he is not God, and he didn't actually die on the cross, and so there's all kinds of different views out there of who Jesus is. And so let me just ask you this question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he to you? How have you defined him? How do you look to him when you pray? And so what I want to do is I want to start in the Gospel of John at the very beginning. In fact, John starts differently than any of the other Gospels. There's, so you know there's four Gospels. And Gospels are the story or the narrative about the life of Christ. So Matthew was written to Jewish people that, saying that Jesus is the Messiah to come. And he uses a lot of Old Testament passages. Luke, 
was not a follower of Jesus during the life of Jesus, but was later. And so he gives the account of Jesus through the eyes of Peter and the firsthand uh, apostles. And he was a physician, very smart. He also wrote the book of Acts. And so he has given you more a sense of a human side of Jesus. And then you come to the book of Mark, and Mark is just a fast track. It's 16 chapters. And the favorite word for Mark in the Gospel of Mark is immediately. Immediately Jesus cast out this demon, Jesus went to a wedding, and probably the same thing happened at the same place, I don't know. But then he immediately, he ran, he did, and next thing you know, you're through with the book of Mark, and you're like, man, I'm tired, that was a quick book. But it just gives you a snapshot of who Jesus is, and convinces you he's the Savior. But John, John's very different. The first three are called synoptics, they sounds the same, similar. But John is very, very different. John was the youngest disciple, right? He was the one whom Jesus gave his mother to. Scott just shared that with us. Faithful even to the point of coming to the cross when everyone else left. He was young. We are also told that John was called the beloved disciple. He called himself the beloved disciple. It's actually better to say Jesus loves me than to say I love Jesus. There's nothing wrong with saying you love Jesus, and I hope you say that. But it's better to say, you know what, I'm the one for whom Jesus loves. Because his love never changes where ours might be fickled. It's an incredible statement. He was the youngest. He probably, we know that when they would sit around the table and they would eat and Jesus would share, you know, they would, they would they're the little bitty tables like this and you just kind of sit on the floor on pillows and just kind of relax and, and eat, kind of like what you do when you're watching Super Bowl. You just lay down and eat for hours. That's what they did, except not the Super Bowl. And so they would, well, I thought that was funnier than you did, but... He would sit and he would lean against his chest and put his head on his chest as if to hear every single whisper, every single word that the Messiah had to say. And then he writes this gospel, the gospel of John. John writes the book 60 to 80 years after the resurrection or after the birth of Christ and he's reflecting back on all of the lessons that he had learned. And he puts it in a, just a very, very powerful way and he doesn't start where the other Gospels do, like at Bethlehem, you know, the angels coming to the shepherds at night. He doesn't start at the birth of Jesus. He doesn't even do what Matthew does, where Matthew starts with the genealogy. He doesn't do that of so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who eventually begot Joseph. He doesn't start there. He starts all the way at the very beginning. John chapter 1 says this. In beginning, when beginning began, when the beginning began, in other words, there was a time before all that you see took place. It's called eternity past. There is eternity past, which uh, some of you are old, but you're not that old, right? There's eternity present. That's where the Father is, heaven. Time doesn't exist there. And then there's eternity future, which you will be there for sure. So in eternity past, before anything began, before beginning began, there is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1. It's kind of a, a riddle in a sense. And then it says, and the Word was with God. So you have the Word in the beginning. Before the beginning started, there was the Word. And then the Word was with God, and that means face-to-face, -face, distinct, separate, intimate, gazing 
but separate, face to face. That little preposition pros, P-R-O-S, just means there. And then it says, so in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And then it says, and the Word was God. That's just incredibly powerful. Verse 14 goes on to say, if you look at it, and the Word became something that it wasn't. The Word became something that it wasn't, became flesh. So God, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God face to face. That's The Son was face to face with the Father and shared the same character, essence, deity. And He became, the second person of the Trinity became flesh in verse 14. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father. And so what is described here is a perfect description of who Jesus really is, as well as a mission statement. Now, as I looked at this, I started thinking about, you know what? There isn't one verse in the gospel. There isn't one verse in the whole New Testament that tells us what Jesus really, really looked like. I mean, if you were to believe some of the religious art that you look at, you believe that he walked 16 inches off the ground everywhere he went. You would believe he would have this flying frisbee above his head like this, right? And you believe that he would glow at night. And you would, you would picture, you would think that he walked around doing this all the time. You know? Yeah, and if you, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and, if you, and if you saw modern pictures of him, you would think he was an Anglo-Saxon surfer dude, you know? Blonde hair, blue eyes, ripped, you know. That's Jesus. I'll follow him to the beach. <laughs> or you think he's some kind of Swiss surfer, you know, or Swiss skier. But in reality, the Bible doesn't say anything about the way he looked on the outside. If, if it says anything, it says it in the Old Testament, Isaiah, that it says there was nothing about him that attracted us. And so when I read that, I'm like, Jesus wasn't attractive. There is hope for me. (laughs) And when I think of that, I think I'm always, I mean, we, we people, we think the outside is more important than the inside, and we're so shallow in everything we do. You don't believe me? Watch the sitcoms. There's nothing deep on TV anymore, nothing. The news isn't even deep. It just knows what kind of person you are and the kind of politics you have, and you'll choose to watch that kind of show, and we don't even dig deeper for the truth. We all just are shallow observers because we don't look deep. We just don't. We're fixing to get deep right here. You know why? We just sang a song that said, all my fountains are in you. So there's three kinds of people in the, in the world, three kinds of people in Texas, three kinds of people in this room right here. Those who know Jesus Christ and who he is and you see the deeper things. Or there's those people that completely reject him or there's those that are seekers. And so I'm, I'm talking to you, seekers and believers, because you're looking for the truth and it changes. And when we talk about the Lord is my fountain and he's the one who brings me true joy and true purpose, we're talking about something deeper than just temporal 
cultural experience. We're talking about eternity. And so John goes all the way back to the beginning, and he says, before beginning began, there was the Word. And the Word was with God face to face, and the Word is God. And verse 14 says, He became flesh. And that is powerful. Now look at what he says. And He was with God in the beginning, verse 3, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, Nothing was created. So this is designed to sound just like Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he, and, and John, who knows Jesus intimately, is saying, that's my Jesus. He's the one who created everything. And I tell you, the one who creates everything is God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, and all things came into being through Him in whom the fullness of deity dwells. Pretty powerful. So what did He create? He created the smallest things. He created the largest things. He created all things. He created the stars. He created the galaxies. Um, there are supposed to be, I don't know, I, didn't, I can't count this high, but there's supposed to be one billion stars in the average galaxy, and the Milky Way is an average galaxy if you're comparing galaxies out there. The Milky Way is an average galaxy. That's what we're told. There's over a billion stars in the galaxies. And there are at least a hundred million galaxies that are known in space. A real smart guy by the name of Einstein believed that we have... We have scanned with our telescopes only one billionth of the theoretical space. So what our telescopes can see in all the galaxies with a billion stars in each one is only a billionth of what's out there in the theoretical space. That's a lot of stars. He believed that there are 10 octillion stars in space. 10 octillion. Now, I had to brush up on my aliens to figure out what that was, and here's what it is. So, how many is that? It's a, a thousand thousand is what? A million. A thousand millions is a what? Billion. A thousand billions is a trillion. A thousand trillions is a quadrillion. A thousand quadrillions is a quintillion, and a thousand quintillions is a sextillion. A thousand sextillions is a septillion, and here we go. A thousand septillions is an octillion. That, my friends, is a lot of stars. And Jesus created every single one of them in our known galaxy. Let's say we were going to do hairs on heads that have ever existed. He knows them. He counted them. Every species of creature... He knows them. He created them. Some mean person showed me a picture of a possum-eating tarantula in the Amazons. And I'm like, you know I'm going there. And they're like, yep. A possum-eating tarantula. Now, why in the world would anybody make that? I don't know. But he knows better. But listen, if he can create all of that intimately... And some of these stars are thousands, thousands of thousands of times bigger than the sun, being fueled by his very essence, holding every atom together by his spoken word. Don't you think he can take care of you? Don't you think your, your kid who's a little wayward 
don't you think he's powerful enough to say, hey, it's okay. Just turn them over to me. Or your marriage. Why don't we do marriage according to the way that Jesus set it up? Maybe he knows better than the actual magazine on the counter at the grocery store. Maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe we can just rest in him. I remember, I forgot which child it was, and I forgot why, but I'd been on a long trip, and I took them to the store, Toys R Us or something. I said, hey, man, just get whatever toy you want. And they're like, really? Yeah. And so they're looking at the toys, and, you know, Star Wars is big back then. Star Wars is big now, too, right? Thousands of years later. Who would have not? <laughs> or thousands of years before. I don't know, whichever one came first. But then you've got all these, you know, you've got uh, R2-D2, right? And you've got... Uh, the Chupaca, right? The millennial, Fal- the millennial Falcon. You got see-through people, all those kinds of people there. And you've got all this. And, and, and the shelves went up. And I'm looking at these. And I said, hey, what do you want? And they said, Dad, you choose. And I'm like, what? No, this is for you. You choose. And they said, no, you choose. And, and I'm thinking, they, they're probably thinking that I can see a whole lot more than they can. That's what I'm thinking. What if you said that to God? You brought your request before the Lord, since He sees everything and is all-powerful, our Jesus, your Savior, and you just say, not my will, but yours. God, you choose for me. Let me tell you something. Your life will be more blessed. You'll have more peace. You'll have more joy. If you just turn your problems, turn your circumstances, turn your joys, your ambitions, you, you graduating folks, you turn that over to the Lord. And you just rest in Him. You know why? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him. If it didn't come into being, He didn't want it to come into being because He's God. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. There's a story of a friend of Henry Ford's, and it goes something like this. And Henry Ford, is, you know, he was cranking out these Model A's. He had a friend named Charles Steinmetz, Steinmetz. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He could invent things in his mind. He could fix things in his mind. And he was just like this incredible engineer that the world knew. And finally, Henry Ford's production line failed and broke, and the machines stopped, losing money every day. People just sitting there. The mechanics couldn't fit it. And finally, he decides to call his buddy Charles. He calls his buddy Charles, and his buddy shows up. And 15 minutes later, he gets the factory working again just like that. And Henry Ford's like, dude, you're awesome. Just send me a bill. So he gets a bill for $10,000. $10,000. Now, that's a lot of money now. It was a whole lot of money back then. Henry Ford writes back and he goes, I think you over-exaggerated your skill for just tinkering on my equipment. And then Charles sends back another bill. $10 for tinkering, 9990 to know where to tinker. <laughs> right? When you and I turn our lives over to the Lord and you know that Jesus is supreme, He knows where to tinker. He knows what to change. He knows what's in store. And so as as this moves on, as John is convincing us, he says this in verse 4, life was in Him. And that life life was the light of the world. There it is, verse 4. So when God breathed into the nostrils of man that he made out of dirt and he breathed into his nostrils, he breathed into him living soul. All that you are is a result of the movement, the very first movement 
of the experience of God creating. And God created out of nothing. And He created you and me. And He put inside of us something that is called life. Where a rock doesn't have life. You have life. And the way that you excel in life is to realize He is the source of life. And when we say, like we just sang and we just worshiped the Lord, you are our substance, you are our future, you are our Lord, and we sing hallelujah to you because He gives you life. And if you are searching in all the wrong places and going to all the rivals of the Lord God Almighty for you to have joy and peace and meaning, then you don't really know life. Therefore, you don't want to worship like those who have life. See, this is what this is all about, is glory. So as the text moves on, he goes on to say, this light shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not extinguish it, put it out. And you have all these different religions trying to put out who Jesus is. But then there was a man named John. He's talking about John the Baptist, not John the the Apostle. There was a man named John who spoke about Jesus, this light. He testified. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free and you share it with everybody else. That's just, it's just, it's just what happens. You can't help it. It's like you talk about your favorite restaurant. Let's go to TJ's. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Let's go. Man, I took, I took my son. I said, you got to eat this blanketed cheeseburger. It's incredible. You got to eat it. And after he's done, he's like, that's fantastic. Yeah, see, I told you. I can't shut up about it. I didn't get paid for it. Until I saw the smile on my son's face. Ah, That's pretty cool. Let's do it. How much more when the joy that you have that comes from the Lord and you share it to others and their life is changed. John said he shared about it. He testified about it. John was not the light, verse 8, but he testified about the light. The true light, look at verse 9. The true light gives life to everyone it's coming into the world. Look at verse 15. John testified concerning him, and he, so John was baptizing. Do you remember the scene? You see this in Matthew? John was baptizing people, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, produce fruits of repentance, demonstrate that you want God more than you want the world, repent of sin, come, be baptized. And he was baptizing them, and then all of a sudden Jesus came walking up. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. That's what it says here, verse 15. I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. And this says, this was the one whom I said, the one coming after me. Did you know that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins? Did you know that? Mary visited Elizabeth. And when she visited Elizabeth, John leaped inside of her. And the Holy Spirit was inside of John at that moment. And, but John was born six months before Jesus, right? That's what we learned. But look at what John says. Jesus is his cousin. And he says this, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. I mean, Jesus existed before. That's what John is saying. And John testified about that and made it clear. And there you have it in verses six through nine. He was making this known. Now, John, as he's writing the book, He brings up this point of verse 14, that the Word became flesh and He took up residence among us. And here's what that means. It means that the second person of the Trinity, true God, equal with the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit, obeyed the Trinity, did what the Father said, and the Father sent the Son 
to be born. He was born in a cave or a barn type cave, and it's not very clean, unsanitary, and he was born right there. We would like to believe the nativity scenes, it is all perfect, but it wasn't. But here's what happened. When he was born, he was enfleshed. The person, the second person of the Trinity, enfleshed himself, incarnated, and he laid aside the prerogative of all of his deity, and he walked on earth as a man. So it wasn't that when he was born, he was like talking and and just, hey, hey, Joseph, how's it going, buddy? Um, I'm going to be the savior of the world, and so I got to get out of this cave. I'll see you. No, he was a baby, and he had a mom and a dad. Matthew tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature and in knowledge, as if there was a time in the flesh that there were things he didn't know, but yet simultaneously, as the second person of the Trinity, he knew everything. There was a moment when he was in one spot at one time, right in Mary's arms, and yet at the same time, simultaneously, he was everywhere at once. And you say, Brother Mac, that's complicated. Absolutely. But the problem isn't with Scripture. The problem of understanding is somewhere between this ear lobe and this ear lobe, right? And by the way, let me ask you this question. Do you, can you ever... Would you ever worship a God that you could imagine and you could just make up and define yourself? I would much rather lean towards the fact that God revealed himself and it blows my mind that I can't wrap my head completely around it, what he says. That's our Savior. And he went on to live as a man. And he, lit, he went on to literally reveal the very glory of God. So remember last week we talked about Moses being in front of God. So so Israel had sinned, they had, they had made this golden calf, Moses came off the hill with the tablets, he threw the tablets down, the ground opened up, swallowed 25,000 or plus people, God was angry, God was mad, Moses goes back up to the hill to see where God is in his presence and says, God, you're telling us to go into the promised land, I can't go unless you go with us, and God says, look, I'm going to go with you. He said, no, no, I want the very essence of your glory and your presence to go with me. And he says, okay, I'll do that. And then, then Moses says, but, but I won't know for sure unless you show me who you really are. Moses, God says, okay, get in the craft of the rock, this little crack, and when I walk by, I'll put my hand in front of you, and then you'll see my back. And he's like, okay, and then that's what happened. And then, check this out. God says, when I pass by, man, I'll be honest with you, I don't completely understand this. But here's what he says. I will proclaim Yahweh to you. Man, I don't even think we can understand what that moment meant. Yahweh is the proper name of God, meaning I am, right? It's the to be I am. So as God was walking by Moses, covering with his hand, it's like here's the full force of who I am. And he was proclaiming I am. And then, then Moses went on and he built a tent called the Tent of Meetings, built a tabernacle where God's glory would rest. Then later on, the temple was built by Solomon and that's where God's glory would rest. And then after the exile and coming back, Zerubbabel, Ezra, they built a temple and that's where God's presence would rest. 
And then there was that final destruction with Herod's temple. And the reason it was completely destroyed is because Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God. And when you come to know Jesus, you come to know to some degree of the glory of God. And it happens in a billionth of a nanosecond as you repent and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when we're talking about the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what we're talking about. Jesus would teach and he would use those same two B statements. I am. I am the door. I, Jesus would say this, I am the life. I am the light. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. He was making these incredible statements. And you often wonder, I often wonder, what is God really like? Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we wonder, what does God think about little kids? Well, look what Jesus did. He just, kids flocked to him, crawled all over him. And you know what? Uh, You've been around kids. They don't hang around mean people. If kids don't hang around you, never mind. <laughs> they hang around people that can do trick with rocks and you know, play little games and they hug and they tell stories and they make them feel very comfortable in their uncoordinated ignorant self as a child, right? I'm not, I'm not down on kids, it's just true, right? If they weren't ignorant and uncoordinated, they would kill you, so therefore, <laughs> it's the grace of God that they're that way. And Jesus loved them. Go work in the nursery, by the way. You wonder what, peop, what, what God thinks of those that are in vile sins, that have ran away from God, that have shook their fist in the face of God. Do you know what God thinks about those kinds of people? I'll tell you what. Jesus said it's like this. There was a man who had two sons and one son took his inheritance and ran off to a faraway land, squandered everything he had, lost all of his friends. He's starving, feeding pigs in a pig's trough and he comes to his mind and he does the most despicable thing of flipping off his dad, disgusting his religion by feeding pigs and being in a faraway land. He couldn't get any lower and he thinks, you know what, maybe I could be a servant in my dad's house. And he starts off back home and the father who represents God in the story that Jesus tells is looking. He's, he's not at the home in his, uh, in his lazy boy. He's out looking for his son. And when he sees him coming, he does the most undignified thing a man of his stature would do. He takes his robe, ties it, he runs after the boy, grabs him, hugs him, falls on the floor, puts a ring on a finger, a robe on his back, and said, kill the fatted calf. My son that was dead is now alive. That's what God thinks about those that have drifted, right? What about the one that has willfully chosen some great sin and then humiliated in that sin? And they take this woman that was caught in adultery. You notice they don't bring the man, those disgusting religious guys. And they throw her down at Jesus' feet. So what does God think about that lady? Is there anybody here who condemns you? No, neither do I sin no more. Amen?
So what does Jesus, what does God think about religious people? The ones who try to make money off of God by selling Jesus junk, right? What does he think of them? He weaves a whip. You know how long it takes to weave a whip? It takes a while. What are you thinking about when you're weaving a whip? Uh, Disgust. And he takes the whip and he clears the temple. The size of five, listen to me, five football fields is the size of the temple mount. He clears it all. My house will be a house of prayer to where people can come to God. What is God like? He wants you to come to Him. That's the message. Verse 12, we'll conclude with this, but pay attention. To as many as received Him, that's Jesus, He gave them the power to become or the right or the ability to be children of God. Even to those that believe in His name. So here's what He says. Let me break this down real quickly. To those who receive him, what does it mean receive? That you know that he is the savior, he's the Lord, he's the boss, he's the creator. I receive that message. And it says that he gives to you. Once you receive it, he gives to you. Not that he gives you the opportunity to give to him or the opportunity to buy something or the opportunity to act right. No, it says you receive him as he is and he gives you something. What does he give you? power to be a child, a daughter, a son of God to where his glory in a small degree will rest on you, even to those who believe in his name. Earlier I said there's three kinds of people, those that just reject it. I pray you're not one of those. Those that have already received it, awesome, awesome. The third kind, you're investigating. You're wanting to know God. I say this as humbly as I know how. Man, I I know my failures and my weaknesses more than you do. I'm just a guy. But I'm just a guy that God has called to explain to you from the Bible His heart towards you. Now, you now need to come to God. Receive Him for what He's done. Repent of sin and self. And now He gives you the right to be His child. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. Just pray this simple prayer. If you're a seeker and you just want to know for sure that you are a daughter, a child, a son of God, then just simply pray a prayer like this. And all I'm doing is just quoting scriptural thoughts. And it is this. Just say, Lord, I've sinned. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Romans 5a says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and rose from the dead for us. And now confess him as Lord and Savior. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says if you confess him as your savior and your lord and you receive him you have eternal life to those that receive him it gives them the power the right 
to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.